welcome to Mind Crime Lipter Show with me, Swindon Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we're joined by Rick Story to discuss, is Christianity feministic or patriarchal? Tim. I think there's three ways you could frame this. You know, are women better than men? Are, are men better than women? Or are both equally bad? So you've sort of talked about definitions. I would say that in a sense, you, know, you have multiple competing definitions of feminism, of course, as with most disputed words. So I'm going to I'm going to position why I think this is a relevant question question within the libertarian as well as the non-normy uh, right movement online. Uh, so it's for, the non-normy right movement is very critical of feminism and feminists and most varieties. Well, the so-called con inc right. Um, you know the you know that as what Tom Woods would call the con inc conservative thing, is is either on the uh, feminist some version of the feminism train, or already there, uh, or just progressive for going the speed limit, as Michael Malice would say. I think that's a very correct criticism. You know, so so a working definition of feminism is the belief that women ought to have either equal or superior role to men in society in terms of power, rights, prestige, and value. And I say superior because I think sometimes the quiet part out. If they say the quiet part out loud, they're not really egalitarians. They are inegalitarians. I think women are actually better than men. Um, and I think I'm going to name some Christians, I think, who get into this idea. So be, uh, Christianity is one of the key words in here, here too. Um, um, and the idea that women are being spirits is, is, is personified in idiotic films and TV shows where the female character is in pose and the male character is like a loser, an incel, so to speak. Um, and again, I have some first-hand experience of the kind of you know, pro women like women are the best type thing. I've worked in a mainstream corporation. I've been through American University. You know, like they're you know, I don't, I don't know if you read this Scott Adams thing, but one of the Scott Adams, the guy of Dilbert, also said is you know he was basically told that they're not hiring any white men at the job. The men, the second half part of the job. So so that those kind of hiring initiatives, you know, they they are to a certain extent real. But this is also included by the Christians. So take David Bentley Hart and Brian Zan. There are two two names. David Emily Hart is probably more famous, but Zand has a bit of a reputation too. Um, and and if you ask them, they would say they're egalitarians. But at times, in interviews, they almost go into like male bashing mode, where you know they'll say, "Oh, certain Christians, you know, were you know certain key Christians might have been women, or so to speak." And even when interviewed, some other ones will will get on the on the train. So I would say the 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 dissident right online movement. He's doing following up the liberal thing by going after the unequal treatment uh, men get in society here. Um, so, so in a sense, I wish they were egalitarians. Um, so, so, so that that would be the minimum thing, you know. Um, one of the principal claims which the originators of certain right-wing people made, in particular Nietzsche, who was single all of his life, is that Christianity is a slave religion, uh, a, a religion of weak people. And it raised this, and by being doing that, it raised the status of women. And this is sort of like the first feminist revolution here in the first century here, because under Patris Familia, you know, the the male patrician owned the uh, women and children, so to speak, in the household um, here. So in this sense, Unwin, and I, Unwin's a great book. He wrote the book Sex and Culture. Now, so what Unwin actually says he thinks is the ideal, or is is is. In this sense, he's more like Vilfredo Pareto in the sense he's just describing things. Here. But I'd say that the extent that he's describing things, he's describing that now Christianity, to some extent, feminized, you know, in particularly Protestant, as well as earlier Catholic societies compared to Roman societies. 
So this is like where like the very first feminist revolution happened. You know, women were given at least some form of rights. They weren't viewed merely as property or chattel of the husband. And then, and and writers like Hart and others would take to say, well, now we only need to expand this. Um. Um. So that that's that. So I so I think today, um, we got into the point where you know we've downloaded a lot of different ideas, which you know, which uh maybe fifty years ago were still at least latently there in the background. And we've sort of discussed this and why children, why do people have children? We've sort of discussed this, Shrith and I discussed this in our, um, some of our episodes on family as well as sex. You know, there's certain ideas which used to be taken for granted, now have to be reasoned. Or if anything, the opposite is now true. So women are, by default position, are viewed to work. Um, by default, people just view everyone as being created equal here. Christians too. Um, and, and people like Hart are popular in the mainstream church, at least certain versions of it. So, so I do think that there's a certain era of plausibility that Christianity created the first wave of feminism in the first century. Whether it created the second, third, and the other later waves and incarnations, you know, as people like Sean Gabb and Murray Rothbard would point out, in the early days of like the progressive movement, the Christians suffered the the, the first, like when women got the right to vote in like Western societies, France, England, United States. It was a very you know the Christian suffragette movement was very Christian by definition here. Um, and they would, and they, and they, you know, they wanted to get to get the right to vote to take away vices too. There's a certain strangeness about that, you know, where they want to take her out. Alcohol, Thaddeus Russell would joke, the first thing women did when they got the right to vote is ban liquor uh, in the United States, at least. Um, um, now, Sean Gabb also said something I think is interesting, and I've discussed this with Natty. Um, the, in terms of the power elite. The power elite, I'd still say, if people ask me, like, is society patriarchal or feminist? I've just made, as using the Scott Adams example, I just made an argument to say that, that in certain levels, it's actually it's harmful to men. Well, in other areas, I'd say that the power elite is still mostly men. Keith Preston, in that interview, pushed back on Gab a little bit on that, but not really to a, to a certain extent. You know, the super, the elite that don't get named, I would guess, are mostly men. So maybe, maybe, maybe that is still the case here. You know, so if people ask me, is society feminist, I'm going to say, well, I don't know. The power elite still seems, uh, to a large extent, you know, ubermensch-type males in that sense. So, I've outlined the case here that, that Christianity has some role in creating some things which today exist, you know, in, in more, you know, in earlier days, only distant, like, in utero. But now it's more fully fledged out here, uh, you know, so, like, right to vote. Uh, both own property, males and females can own property, and so forth. And the, now they're all sort of like, everyone is granted those rights here. And I'd say they originate in Christian. Some normie Christians say, yeah, yeah, we're the true liberals here. And that's a maneuver that a lot of, you know, for example, N.T. Wright will do that maneuver here. He's a sort of voice in some form of the mainstream church, at least online, at least in certain places here in the English world. So Rick and Swith, and what do you make of my case? And we'll start with Rick here. You know, one of the things I would say is that, like, once you tell, I'm continue on with my question before I let you speak. Sorry to ramble on here. Is that, like, one of the down products of like being online is um you 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 become aware of movements like the dissident right, like the men's rights movement, and then it changes your view on like marriage, for example. Like, uh, you know, if if, if and as well as like the mainstream church here, it's like. Well, you know, who's who's exactly exploiting whom here? And it sort of raises awareness. It's a very annoying word, but in a sense, that's what it, it, it does by product here. So so sometimes conservatives will give the advice to get married, 
But then they also know that there's kangaroo courts and other things there. So that's, that's somewhat of a side issue. But I do think there's an air of plausibility that when people, when certain pagan people would say that they created it. Now, what you think of the creation of that is, is up to you. Uh, you know, you could think it's a good thing. And that's the maneuver that the NT rights and David Bentley Hearts will do. So, Rick, I'll start with you. What do you think of the case that Christianity created it? And what do you think of my uh, opening statement here? Yeah, I think you've raised all of the you know important things that we're probably going to discuss here, Tim. And, um, you know, I think you've you know helpfully defined, you know, kind of broadly, you know, what what feminism is. And so that's given us some direction here. Um, I, I think probably, you know, if people want to go away and read like what I think is quite a definitive case of saying, um, Christianity granted greater rights to uh, women and children. And uh, this effectively invented the individual um, in, you know, our modern liberal context, you know, what we would understand as an individual. There's a book called Inventing the Individual, The Origins of Western Liberalism by Larry Seedentop. Um so if you want to learn some more there, you can go and read Inventing the Individual and you'll you'll get a good idea of what it is that we're we're debating about here. But um I, I find that you know people say, you know, oh okay, you know, Christianity kind of uh, feminized uh, Europeans and they were ever so rugged and and uh, manly before and you know, this is this has then been the cause, you know, of uh, a steady decline into uh, modern liberalism. Um, it, it, it's oversimplistic, and to my mind, it just doesn't work. You know, I think they're basically just anti-Christian, and um, they've sort of latched onto some ideas of maybe Nietzsche, who you've already, you've already uh, mentioned, Tim, or maybe Edward Gibbon, you know, who wrote the the decline and fall of the Roman Empire, and he wanted to blame. Uh, Christianity uh, for that. I mean, that's it's, it's basically been you know debunked. Um, you know, Edward Gibbon's ideas. Um, it's it's way too simplistic. It doesn't apply to Eastern Rome, and you know, I, I don't want to go into all of that. Um, but but my point is that you know it's way too oversimplistic. I mean, a, a, an obvious example that comes to mind of um, how Christianity seemed to have, if anything maybe reduced the public role of women um, in the the Greek-speaking world of Europe and, and Asia Minor in the, the earliest days of Christianity, uh, even, you know, the first century, even in the New Testament, um, can be seen where, you know, for instance, in 1 Corinthians, uh, St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he uh, is saying, that you know, uh, women are to wear head coverings in church, and also, uh, and you see this in his letters to Timothy as well. He says that uh, women should not preach, or in, even, uh, in especially in the church in Corinth, they shouldn't even speak um, during the church service, and they should save any questions they have to ask their husband at home. Um, now, you know, this is something that I've, you know, myself, when I've been in conversation with um, uh, women who identify as feminists, that they'll bring this up and they'll say, um, well, you know, look how destructive uh, Christianity has been uh, to women's rights. Look at what um, 
St. Paul was saying here. Um, you know, <laughs> so on the one hand, we have people saying Christianity has uh, feminized uh, Europe and indeed the world too much. Um, I mean, on the other hand, if I'm speaking to feminists, they might point to parts of the New Testament and say, um, look, look at how it was introducing um, some tyrannical patriarchy. Um, now, the church in, in Corinth, um, you know, these were certain... Um, the, the, the people who were going to these churches may have otherwise been going to pagan temples where there would have been a temple prostitute. Um, you know, very often, you know, these women would have shaved their, their heads and... Uh, um, basically there would be some sort of ritual where you would end up having sex with this uh, temple prostitute, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, according to their religion. Uh, so, you know, the people were coming from that and they were coming to a religion that had, um, you know, a much more, um, shall I say, Eastern, uh, yes, you know, patriarchal um, Hebrew uh, flavour to it where, um, you know, Women were had a very specific role. It was very familial, um, and and so look, you know, right there in the New Testament, we see the case that, um, you know, Christianity is, if anything, introducing patriarchal um, elements and uh, a certain level of control over uh, women. Indeed, the head covering is supposed to represent that the. That the women in the church are, are married and that they have the authority of their husband over them. Um, so, I mean, I just immediately want to start with that. It's not so simple, J just on the face of it, it is not so simple to say Christianity necessarily feminized um, Europeans or, or something like that. It's an oversimplification. Um, now, in terms of what did Christianity actually do then? Um, well, so Christianity introduced this equity in that um, men and women and, yes, children all have an individual soul for which, um, you know, they are responsible before God. Um, so in terms of how that affects um, jurisprudence, in you know Western law, in the history of Western law, um, this made it so that uh, you know that the dignity of that uh, had to be respected. And so, you know, a, a classic example of this will be that um, in the, the marriage vows in Christian marriage, um, a woman will have a vow. She has to. She is asked, you know, do you accept this person as your husband? And she can say no. Um, you know, she's not being bought and sold. She's not a, uh, she's not a, you know, a, a chattel, um, you know, that her, fa her, her father would, you know, sell her off. Um, now, you know, I mean, may that still have happened, you know, you know, in, in, in fact, um, you know, perhaps so, but, uh, but the ideal and the way that's affected uh, the culture and affected Western jurisprudence is that, Men and women have a, a spiritual equality and a dignity before God because they have an individual soul. Um, 
now you know that that's it. it it's it's not to say anything necessarily about um you know how to define a woman biologically you know you're not going to find that necessarily in the bible um or or in the catechism um and you know i quite frankly i don't think you really need to say anything uh, about that but what you can say is that um Christianity introduced this idea of individual souls, and that's affected law, and that's affected culture in the West. Now, um, did that lead to the rise of modern liberalism? That's that's then the the, the the crux here. And did that lead to the rise of this very individualistic, um, perhaps even egoistic idea of uh, a woman uh, that we see now? Um, where, you know, for instance, you have this uh, great debate, you know, now going on where, um, you know, some people are siding with J.K. Rowling um, because she wants to defend a, you know, strictly biological uh, definition of what a, a, a woman is. Um, and on the other hand, you have, um, you know, people who use sort of, you know, maybe you, you call them woke or something like that. And they have a much more egoistic idea of what a woman is. So they might say, okay, uh, even though someone has been, um, you know, biologically they're born as a male, um, they might, um, you know, feel as though they have, uh, you know, really they're, they're a woman, but on the inside in, in terms of their ego or maybe their soul or something like that. Or, um, you know, they, they just want to be identified um as a woman now um has has christianity necessarily led to to this or to you know any form of feminism where we're talking about something more akin maybe to jk rowling or to this other view we're looking at or to you know earlier forms of feminism where it was simply about um you know women uh, want to be able to choose um to uh, to, to vote, for instance, you know, so they want to have a greater um, public voice, a political standing, a political voice and that sort of thing. Or, you know, they want to be able to engage in freely uh, whatever profession uh, they want to without being discriminated against and that sort of thing. Um, I think that that is strictly born out of um, modern liberalism and i do see that as being a distinct departure from um th this christian idea of individuals having um souls which have equal dignity i do see that as a departure and um i, I don't know whether either of you want to jump in before i discuss why i see um this you know modern liberal individual idea and how that formed feminism um, as being, um, you know, very distinct from um, this Christian idea of individual souls. Perhaps you might want to jump in before I go on any further. Well, well what I was going to say was I, whilst I do think it's distinct um, from the idea of, of equally valuable individual souls, it does seem to me to be the case that... Um, the form in which we get feminism today is only something that would be an outgrowth 
of um, a, a Christian society. It is not something you would have got in this particular form, uh, and the way in the and the way in which it develops, if it had been a pre-Christian uh, one or or a non-Christian one, I, I just don't see it being developed the way that it has. Now, you could argue that um, you've had a similar f- sort of feminism um, generated in, uh, to some extent popularized in, say, Eastern in Japan, but that's really due to American cultural hegemony, which is, of course, uh, largely post-Christian. One of the things as well, Rick, before Tim, I want to jump in after uh, at this, is what uh, something I found, as Tim mentioned, uh, J.D. Unwin, and I'll, I'll make a few quotes from him, uh, is that it does seem to be the case that you could argue there's sort of proto-feminism prior to um, uh, of sorts, uh, well, it's not really feminism, but a higher, depends on how I want to talk about the term feminism, but um, a higher social status of women, even in uh, in Athens. Uh, and this was even, uh, and Nietzsche wouldn't like this, this was prior to even Socrates. So uh, a couple of quotes come in. This is on page 388, uh, J.D. when he quotes. According to Aristotle, the early Hellenes bought their wives, and Boshuk considers the purchase succeeded capture as a prevailing custom. The bride was sold to her husband's family by her guardian, who might be her father, brother, or nearest male relative. She was regarded as a child producer and house and a housekeeper. If she were guilty or even suspected of adultery, her husband had no option. Society compelled him to put her away. An adulteress was a social outcast and liable to suffer any insult, however violent, which stopped short of murder. A man's children were looked upon as his personal property and were not legal entities. End quote. Uh, so that's in the early Hellenistic period. Uh, he doesn't give particular dates, but and he continues, quote, by the beginning of the sixth century, the custom of buying a wife had fallen into disuse among noble families. It had been given. Uh, it had it had become the practice to provide a daughter with a dowry. This did not affect the parental or marital authority, but it acted as a defense against the husband's caprice. But a dowry seems to have remained the property of the wife's people, so if the husband exercised his power of repudiation, he had to restore the dowry. Moreover, he was sometimes required to give collateral security that the property would pass to his wife's children, end quote. Uh, page 389, so uh, more development uh, of, of this sort of higher status, as it were. So page 389, quote, We have no knowledge of early Athenian, of, of Athenian law before the end of the 5th century, but it seems that as the noble families became richest, their women became creatures of pomp and vanity, indulging in spendthrift entertainments and nocturnal escapades. In the middle of the 6th century, Solon was appointed dictator to cope with the economic crisis which had arisen. Our knowledge of his res- reforms is inconsiderable, but according to Plutarch, Solon placed a statutory limit on the amount of woman, uh, out of money a woman might spend on dress, entertainment and household furniture. He also enacted that no woman was to carry more than three dresses on her travels, and that in future in future, she was not to go abroad at night unless she was accompanied by her attendants, end quote. This does not seem prior to Solon like a society in which women were particularly oppressed in the upper classes and seemed to have significant autonomy. Otherwise, um, such laws would not have been uh, implemented by Solon, or at least according to Plutarch. Um, so I, I use this, I, I find this one of the most interesting parts of sex and culture, uh, is that it does seem to be the case, contrary to sort of the pagan right, that there are precursors to uh, higher uh, social status of women, which you could perceive as somewhat proto-feministic. 
uh, and that's prior to Christianity and, as I say, um, with the Nietzschean reference, uh, prior to even Socrates. Um, now, as I said at the beginning, now I do see, um, see though the feminism that does the modern feminism, which you really say starts in the 19th century, really, and there may, there may be some precursors to the 19th century, um, does seem to be a, a Christian, uh, a, well, Christian heresy is probably the best way of putting it. Uh, so, um, Tim or Rick, uh, jump in as you deem fit. Oh, Rick can go in a minute. I'll just make a quick comment here. Rick's question is about, like, when does the point of departure occurred? Well, there's a sort of departure point. And one of the arguments I would make, trying to preempt the response here to somewhat, is that, to me, I see it sort of like a boiling frog, or I just see the, you know, you can boil a frog easily by just supposedly slowly raising the temperature of something slowly and slowly and slowly. But if you jump in, throw the frog in there, that's sort of the analogy of the boiling frog. But you know, when, when, if there is a departure point or if there's a distinction point, you know, when did it happen, so to speak? Because you could get reports, and one of the sort of historical facts is you, you find is that, you know, church attendance, and this is something that's been pointed out, has always been disproportionately uh, women. Um, and even that, that still, that still runs today, that there are certain writers, again, we don't have much statistics here, but there are certain historical writers that would make that comment about Catholic church of olden times as well. And even in the first, second, and third centuries, you know, many of the key converts were women. So I do, I do there might be just competing strains within Christianity, some pa- patriarchal, some feminist. It might be impossible to actually glean an actual, you know. But but I, I do sort of want to know, like, what is, you know, if there was a bit of porn torture, what ought to be in the case of the teaching? So, Rick, please on continue on your point about uh, this, when that, or that distinction. Sure. Yeah, I will do. Thanks, Tim. Um, first, I just wanted to, you know, agree with you, Swithin. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, if you look at uh, the pre-Christian world, um, you know, or even yeah, the, the pagan world generally it doesn't necessarily have to be pre-Christian. Um, you know, if if you look at um, the the cycle of civilizations, um, you know, of which there is a great deal of work. Um, you know, studying, you know, even historical sources pre-Christianity, um, you, you will see that it's the case that um, in civilizations that have become very wealthy, um, women start to take a, a greater role, have a, a, a much greater public voice than they did before, um, start patronizing the arts and things like that and having greater political influence, um, you know, through that medium. Uh, various sorts of things like this. So there, there's nothing new about um, women coming to the fore and having um, a greater political say. You know, if we're going to define feminism in a very broad sense and, you know, have it kind of mean that, uh, there's nothing new about that. Um, and certainly, you know, pagan societies were not immune um, from that, um, in, and you know, um, you know, something else is that uh, you know Gnosticism, um, you know, of which you know I see that uh, modernity and uh, you know the modern concept of the individual uh, and liberalism, I, I see it as being very, very similar, if not just a form of um, Gnosticism. You know, the way it views. 
um, the, the the ego and all those things I was talking about before. Um, and, and of course, you know, within Gnosticism, pre-Christianity, you had all sorts of ideas about the androgyny, um, you know, but so a sort of being who has transcended um, his biological identity as a, a man or woman is is in some sense, you know, superior. You know, ideas like this um, are, are not new either, and they, you know, they're not something that you know Christianity hasn't had to to contend with um, either. They are very old indeed. And um, on, the, on the other hand, you know, so, something else I, I want to point out is that in Islam and, you, you know, even in Wahhabist uh, Islam, and, you know, I have many friends actually who are uh, Wahhabist uh, uh, Muslims and, you know, I have Saudi friends and um, they will be very quick to say, oh, yes, under Islam, uh, under Sharia, women technically uh, had or and have uh, more rights than they did under you know traditional historical uh, Christianity in the Christian world because a woman uh, could divorce her husband if she so wanted to and and some other things that they will bring up and they are strictly correct that that, that is correct um, now, uh, the, the fact that you know Islam also shares this idea that you know men and women have equal souls before God, and and you know it shares all of these other aspects that many want to you know blame about Christianity. They want to put all of modern feminism. They want to lay all the blame of it at uh, Christianity's feet. Well, why are they not terribly worried that you know there's going to be some tremendous feminist outbreak? some kind of fifth wave of fem- feminism is about to totally overrun um, the, the Muslim world. Uh, you know, why, you know, what, what is their reason for believing that this is not the case? Um, I, I've, I've yet to hear a, a really good argument. Um, but, you know, I, I would say, you know, the, the, the actual reason is just because of, you know, Islam is predominant in the Middle East and simply culturally and, you know, for a whole host of reasons, um, you know, the people from that part of the world are just different to European people who seem to be very individualistic and have really, um, you know, taken modern liberalism and they, well, they developed it in the first place. Europeans developed modern liberalism and the idea of the modern individual in the first place, and they've really run with it. Um, I I think that is quite obviously much more the answer. So to get to what you were, you know, asking me there, Tim, you know, okay, so where is this point of departure? How did it come about? What is it? Um, I, I would say it's that. I would say that it is that uh, European people um, who are descended from uh, Indo-European nomads who were rather psychopathic, um, they and, and psychopathy is very heritable, I would say that European people have inherited a much more individualistic disposition uh, I won't go into it too much. Um, you know, I've written about it in my book, and there's loads of material about it. I could talk about it for ages. Um, you know, we've probably done a show about it at some point. But um, 
basically it's it's enough to say that Europeans are just generally more individualistic and um you know western civilization it has you know risen tremendously and it is it appears to now be on somewhat of a decline uh, if it isn't you know dead quote unquote already um and so you know what can we expect to see from a very individualistic uh, civilization, um, you know, when it's at its its tail end. Well, I think you can expect to see that women would exercise a far greater uh, political and public role than they might have done historically, and I think you can um, expect them, you know, expect to see them have, you know, you know, much greater legal rights, if not equal, or perhaps even superior. Uh, legal rights uh, compared to to men, um, and you can expect it to be extremely individualistic. You know more than uh, has been seen from, let's say, you know, other civilizations where the other people are not so inclined towards you know individualism, um, and and that is indeed what we see. Is that a departure from? Uh, Christianity, I think it most definitely is. Well, why? Because these things arose as a very definite departure from Christianity. It is a departure from the Christian idea of what uh, uh, a man and woman are in terms of their um, their God-given roles, where they are... Um, you know, they are one, you know, they come together as one, as a, a husband and wife to help each other and to perform different roles. And, uh, you know, Christianity is extremely holistic and uh, corporatist. And so, you know, it, it views, um, you know, the family as being, you know, a specific corporate entity. And, you know, what is a woman? It, it's it's somebody performing that role of helping the husband and being a mother within a family unit, um, you know, so that that's kind of the, the Christian conception of um, a, a woman. You know, it, it doesn't even um, it, it's it's a it's a complete departure then to say, well, you have um, an individual who chooses their own purpose for life and um, is, you know, maybe not at all a part of some corporate whole or a part of some family or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, it has some kind of political autonomy as well. Um, you know, these things are definitely a departure um, from, you know, the Christian idea of a, a woman and, um uh, the, the role of women, and also, um, you, you know, they arose with liberalism, which is a definite uh, political departure from uh, Christianity and, you know, Christendom, political Christendom. Um, you know, and that, 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 that's what it was. It was it was a political rupture. It was, uh, you know, separating from... Um, you know, any political authority that Rome and the, the Catholic Church may have had um, over countries. And, you, you know, it was, it was born out of that. Um, so, you know, how then people say, oh, well, you know, the, the, these are two sides of the same coin. 
or this is simply an earlier form of that. Um, I just don't get it. They seem to be two completely different things. And one was a definite departure, you know, modern liberalism is a definite departure from Christendom. Um, and I, I, I simply can't see it any other way. Perhaps I'm wrong, but, you know, I'm waiting for, I'm waiting for the argument. I suppose one argument might be uh, that actually early Christianity, if you, well, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose you could go Reformation-y. Uh, you could argue that uh, in the Reformation period, in, in trying to get back to sort of the purity of the early church, which isn't necessarily entirely a fair characterization of various goals of the Reformation, um, you could argue in certain things that um, uh, G- Jesus says that, and this is something um, Tim might want to elaborate on, on how you need to hate your, uh, if, you, if you do not hate your father and brother, you cannot be my disciple. And you could argue that uh, certainly in, well, less so with Paul, although to some extent with Paul, um, more so with uh, the Gospels, you could argue there's a, a downplaying of family uh, relative to, say, the Jewish culture or the uh, prevailing uh, Hellenistic and Roman uh, cultures. And um, in a way, you could treat it more like, well, it's what matters is your role as a disciple um, of of Jesus and being in, in his kingdom as uh, a single disciple apart from any of the group. Now, of course, you might be in the church, um, but then, you know, if you wanted to, you could go, well, you know, Paul says there is neither Jew, no Greek, no slave, nor three, nor male and female um, in um, in the church. And so from that, you, if you were to take that view uh, from there, you might think that there's a more sort of individual uh, individualistic or individualist, depending which you want to say, uh, version of Christianity, which is sort of um, hidden or uh, sort of glossed over by in the early medieval period or whatever. Uh, and so really you want to go back to this more sort of egalitarian uh, view um, of of Christianity. Uh, Tim, would you like to comment on that? Because I know this is something you've mentioned to me before. I guess the question is, what is the real, you know, would the real Christianity please stand up? Uh, is and then, and then whatever that is the case, that ought to be the case, um, if indeed Christianity is true. Uh, because there is, a, there is disputes over, like, you know, you get into disputes over, like, what are the particular issues? And this is part of the modern day uh, defenders of, like, for example, women becoming ministers would say, well, this was just a particular Corinthian issue at the time. And this was, you know, you know, the real doc, the real gospel is something os- the opposite of that. Um, that was just a concession made to the times. And, you know, you get into these, these ish- debates here. And it's like, you know, you know, Walter Block would say when two Austrians fight, you know, the, Milton Friedman comment like the Austrians would fight. You know, they just well, Walter they, they had to duel because they don't have a way to resolve logical disputes here. But Walter Block would say there's no other way to check the logic disputes here. So like the certain question here, like when you get into these debates over what direction um, should churches take um, on these issues, 
is a sort of very real and very live question for many people here. Uh, uh, you know, and and I and I still say there's sort of a dog that doesn't bark that still that hasn't barked yet. Although a guest from the Tom Woods show did say that that there is always a threat that the Catholic Church does ordain uh, uh, women uh, as, as as ministers here. So that dog hasn't barked yet, but it very well could bark. It is a plausible. It is in theory plausible. Now you would say, well, maybe it's a priori plausible because that would just be you know uh, like. Uh, uh, but you do, it's not, I don't, you know, to take a Graham Oppie view on plausibility here, it is at least, if you could, if you could think of it, you could imagine it. And so, so the question to me is always, what is the real, you know, what is the real position here? Because, you know, uh, and as far as you recommended some comments on Islam here, I'd say, well, um, that doesn't surprise me here because you could just say, well, maybe it's all the major mono, Abrahamic monotheisms all sort of have this sneaky individualism built in here. You know, uh, that that's actually one way. That's one one way out of it. Um, and I, I suspect that you know there's a sort of reversion of the future where and I actually already seen the proto versions of this, where you know certain conservative Islamic men and certain conservative Catholics get in line with each other against modernists. I you know I, I you see that happening in Michigan over you know what you know about schools. So maybe maybe just all the major Abrahamic monotheisms have certain shared values. And the question is, is that one of those shared values individualism? You know, there is a lot of overlap between them. I know, of, of course, one group has to be wrong. You know, why the, the, the Jews have to be wrong, the Muslims have to be wrong, or the Christians have to be wrong. One of those guys is a liar. Whether it's Paul, whether it's Muhammad, you know, who knows? You know, there is one, but like, what is the true version of it? And then going forward, what version should be taken here? in our current day, because there is, of course, historical questions. You know, maybe it is the case that the Hellens were, you know, basically no different than modern day, you know, London. Maybe that is the case. That that could very well be the case. Although, of course, you could say, and I think a good writer would say that, well, well Aristotle has a huge influence on uh, Christian teaching via Thomas Aquinas. And supposedly, Islam also has a big teaching of Aristotle, too. So maybe that just crept in through Aristotle as well as Plato. So you're, you're just this is just the Hellens are just proto-Christian culture. So that be my that would be my response here. What is the true version here? You know, you could argue over the past and the departure points. What would you say is the true version, Rick? I suppose it's you know very similar to what Swithin was saying before as well, isn't it? Where, you know, Swithin was questioning um, you know, the, the, the early church's understanding of, of, of things and where Paul, you know, writes, oh, you know, there is no Greek, there's no Jew. Um, you know, so, so in what sense is Christianity individualistic and in, in what sense is it then accepting that there are, you know, biological realities and that there are, um, you know, natural groups that form and, you know, roles and things like that. Well, um, you know, I, I would say, okay, it, it, where is this like sneaky individualism um, in uh, Abrahamic faiths or, you know, Christianity more specifically? Well, I'd say, you know, it, it is simply to say, well, in what sense are we individual? And it's to say, well, you know, we, we, we come into this world in, you know, a certain sense, um, alone you know our our, our our soul is formed and it's not formed necessarily um you know by others by other people 
uh, as we grow, as we grow as a you know a material, biological being, an embodied being, um, yes, okay, we have to learn a language, we have to, you know, function in this world. You know, we we find ourselves to be social animals, and you know, we're given a culture. Um, and you know, through dialogue with others, uh, we have all sorts of different concepts that are built in our minds. You know, so that we have a, a framework with which to to function in this world. Okay, so you know, we're we're social animals, but spiritually, uh, spiritually, you know, we, we we come in alone, and when we're going out, um, we're we're in a sense alone. You know, a sense sort of naked and alone before the judgment of God. Um, you know, we, we stand alone um, before eternity, you know, with ev- everything that we are, that we have been, uh, decisions that uh, we have made. So in, in a spiritual sense, we are an individual soul. And, it, you know, it, it, this is largely, you know, what I was saying before, um, you know, Christianity sees us as having an equity before God, because what we share universally is this individual soul. This, you know, what what will you know remain of us once the the physical has been shed. Um, now, okay, well, what make but, but that when, you know when the Apostle Paul is saying when saint paul is saying um well there's no greek or jew within the church you have you have to also take into account that he's saying things which are very pro-family you know swithin was saying well some very kind of anti-family pro-individual statements there well you know saint paul you know strictly says you know that um, people have to look after their family. If you don't look after your family, you're worse than an unbeliever, is what St. Paul says. Um, you know, you have duties uh, towards your, your family. The way that uh, the writer of uh, the epistle to the Hebrews um, speaks about uh, his love for his people. And, you know, St. Paul does this elsewhere as well. Um, there's this genuine concern and love for one's people. And this is throughout the, the, the Christian tradition, not just Catholic. You know, if you want to go and look at, um, you know, certain specifically Orthodox uh, saints as well and, and how they interpret uh, the uh, writings from the New Testament and the early fathers, uh, or even if, you know, you want to look at the um, earliest uh, Protestant uh, traditions as well they they understand this quite clearly that yes of course there are biological realities that we're not to reject and we're not to hate these are god-given things and they're very good you know ideas such as you know we have a a people you know we're born into a nation we're born into a family and these things are precious that they it is the highest form of piety you know aquinas says that it's you know it, it is it is um, you know, a most pious thing um, to love one's kind of biological origins, you know, the nation and the family that have given birth to us and, and nurtured us and given us, um, 
you know, all of the mental tools and, and culture that we need in order to, to live in this world. Um, the individual aspect is the spiritual aspect, is the aspect of our, our, our soul. Um, I mean, that, that, that is the, the Christian tradition. You might say, well, who is right? Because, you know, some um, Christian sects have arisen and may, you know, exist even today, um, which, you know, say that, you know, you should reject, you know, all other influences from other people. You must just read the Bible for yourself. And directly, uh, the Holy Spirit will give you, as an individual, uh, the the correct understanding of things, and uh, you you mustn't allow yourself to be uh, influenced by by others. Um, you, you know, I mean, t- to me, just just looking at that on the face of it, it doesn't seem like that that's really going to go anywhere. It's certainly not going to have much chance of. Um, of uh, spreading it's not going to form uh, the kinds of communities uh, that you know seem to exist in the new testament uh, where you know they're getting together in councils and making decisions about things in the book of acts and you know where uh, the apostle uh, where you know saint paul is writing letters to churches and most definitely wants to have an influence uh, on them and he's advising others to be good influences to each other and you know it's certainly not the kind of church that Christ describes where it's very very communal um, where we're getting together and uh, you know feasting together and uh, you know having the, the the mass and you know partaking of Christ's body and, and his blood and and um, you know, laughing with each other, weeping with each other, um, you know. So it it just seems very clear to me that we can say, um, you know, Christianity does not reject anywhere um, biological realities about our social nature and the kinds of groups that we form. In fact, it affirms them most definitely. Um, if you want to look at, like, you know, the largest denomination, so Catholicism, this is very explicit in the catechism. So you can see what's very explicitly defined there. Um, and, you know, so I don't think we really need to say any more than that. Uh, there was something else you raised, though, Tim, which is, yeah, you know, well, you know, could this kind of evolve over time? Um, for for some sects, you know, perhaps uh, yes, I, I suppose so. For Catholicism, you know, even someone as uh, liberal as uh, the current Pope uh, Francis, um, you know, he's even had to, you know, say explicitly that the you know that there is no possibility of having uh, female priests uh, in the Catholic Church. Um, you know, might he try and? find some other roles or, uh, you know, I think he's tried to toy with the idea of there being female deacons, but then he's had to say that's probably never going to go anywhere. It doesn't seem as though it can, um, you know, so I, I don't think that that's a, a possibility either. Um, something that I actually wanted to raise, I don't want to, you know, take the lead or anything, but, um, you know, I think it's also important to understand, you know, whether, Christianity even can, 
you know, what to what extent you know Christianity really could um, feminize uh, a civilization. Uh, you know, I, I interviewed a, um, a scholar, um, you know, long retired now, uh, Stephen Goldberg, um, and he wrote a book. You're going to have to forgive me. I can't remember the name of it. I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember what it was called. It is something like, um, um, you know, feminism doesn't exist or um, uh, the unknown uh, of, no, sorry, I remember it now. The inevitability of the of patriarchy, and his argument was that um, though women have exercised power roles throughout history, you know, you can think of you know Catherine in Russia and you know figures like that, you know Queen Elizabeth the, the first uh, figures like that, um, Cleopatra, whatever. Um, you, these these situations can never properly be described as anything other than a patriarchy because, you know, as Tim uh, mentioned in passing at the start of this talk, um, you know, it still seems to be men exercising all of the, the major power roles. Or, or at least, you know, if there is a woman in a, a, a power role, her authority is very limited and she's surrounded by men. Uh, you know, seem to be making a lot of the uh, decisions, really. Um, and so he said that, um, you know, this makes it the case that, you know, for, for instance, you know, a society like the um, the bonobo apes, where they are matriarchal, they, they're completely cut off from chimpanzees, where if they were to encounter a group of chimpanzees, the chimpanzees would literally eat them alive. Um, so because they're cut off, this very unusual little situation can take place where there's a, a form of matriarchy. But in an open system, um, you know, in, in human you know, civilizations on a grand scale in our increasingly globalized world, um, he, he argued that a matriarchy could, could never exist at all, really. It's not feasible, even in a situation where you see a declining civilization and women seem to be exercising um, more of a role. Um, you know, so if that's the case, then, I mean, you don't have anything to worry about from Christianity because it would never amount to anything anyway. Um, I don't know if that derails the conversation too much, but... I think it's an important consideration to make. You know, uh, you know, could we even arrive at a, a matriarchy at all? Well, I, I think that's interesting. I mean, we 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 did an episode on um, why do it was it was to do with I can't remember the exact title. It was to do with Marxism and feminism, and uh, why if if uh, feminists um, sort of I suppose sort of hate corporations so much. Why do they work for them? Um, why do they wish to ascend sort of like the hierarchy at work to a large extent? I, I think what you could, and I would agree with you with respect to the, um, the matriarchy not really being possible. I suppose what is possible is lots of women working for a CEO rather than working for their husband. And, and insofar as uh, that's possible, which she clearly is because that's basically the situation you have today, um, you could declare one sort of feministic uh, to some extent. Uh, and the other one, patriarchal, although it, in a sense they're very similar. Um, it's just uh, the uh, who who they are 
taking orders from, essentially. Um, so I, I think that's um, an, 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 a possibly interesting way of looking at it. Um, on Christianity, I mean, the, I mean, Christianity does have, as you said before, a relatively high, high, a high view of women, and so it isn't surprising that you could get um, a, a sort of heresy going on uh, either side of the golden mean. So I, I, I don't think that's entirely surprising. Um, I, I don't want to go down the Catholic Church can't change its mind, but just one example in which I think it does, uh, although we don't need to debate this on record. It does seem to be the case that the, the Catholic understanding of sal- understanding of salvation out of salvation outside of the church significantly diverges from the Council of Florence, which basically says nobody outside the um, uh, the Catholic Church can be saved. Uh, and that is, there is a radical alteration of that, especially at Vatican II. So uh, now, whether you want to make a distinct, I can't remember the distinctions made, the distinction between uh, developments of understanding and development of something else, uh, I can't remember. That does seem to be a distinctly different doctrine. Um, so uh, I would, but again, that's a issue for another day, but I, I, I don't think it is immediately obvious that um, there's, only developments within the Catholic Church, which are sort of like unfoldings of uh, initial ideas, and they kind of retain their original essence. Because I don't think that's the case with the Council of Florence. Um, but as I said that's, that's that's a bit of a, a, a side issue. Um, but yes, finally, I, I would agree with you that ultimately matriarchies are not possible. Um, and I would just like to thank everyone for listening. If you enjoyed this, please share it with your friends and family, and subscribe to us on Podbeam and on YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. And if you'd like to contact the show for any reason at all, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com.